Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. For my second and third segments, I'll be discussing co-op programs with my guests. For those of you with students who want a college education, but who also want to get right to work, co-ops are ideal. In the second segment, I'll be talking with two current college coach consultants, Sarah Calvert-Kubram, formerly of Northeastern University, and Kenan Dick, formerly of Drexel University. We'll be discussing what a co-op is and the pros and cons of attending a college with a co-op program. In the third segment, I'll be wrapping up the topic by discussing the financial implications of attending a co-op program with Lori Peltier, college coach finance consultant. But first, I'll be talking with Kira Tyler, former admission officer of Brandeis University and college coach veteran about some of the supplemental essays for Barnard College and Washington University in St. Louis. Welcome, Kira. Thanks, Sally. Nice to be on with you. All right, so I look forward to discussing the Barnard and WashU um, essays with you in this segment. But first, for the listeners, I just wanted to make sure that um, wanted to make sure that they knew that we will be listening, listing, excuse me, listing <laughs> the essay prompts on our Facebook page. If you want to look them up, of course, the best source is always going to be the college admission webpage or the common application. So, Kira, let's start with Barnard. What are the questions that we'll be discussing today? Sure. So we're not going to um, talk about the sort of standard why this college or why Barnard um, today, but um, I think we're going to talk about a, a more fun topic, which is pick one woman in history or fiction to converse with for an hour and explain your choice. What would you talk about? And the length is um, 100 to 250 words. Mm-hmm. I do think that's a fascinating topic. And I just quickly, yeah. I do want to let the listeners know that we did cover, we've covered why this college essays a lot, which is why we're not covering it today. And if you want to look it up on our radio, radio show, you can go to September 13th, 2017, the, our show from that date. So sorry, back to you, Kara. So what do you, what no. do you think about that question? I mean, I love that. I love that question. It's kind of one that I've actually thought about just when I was like sitting around, you know, by myself, <laughs> you know. I know. Well, you and I like history. Um, we sort of like civics. We like literature. And uh, yeah, so I, I agree with you. I would also be thinking about on my own. Wow, that was really interesting to talk to that person. Um, so I think that's probably my first bit of advice is to approach this. Um, as an opportunity to have a little bit of fun, share your personality, and try not to let this get you wound up in knots. Um, because I think it should actually, I'm going to be honest, I think for people for whom Barnard really resonates with, it should actually come kind of um, easily to them. Mm-hmm. I completely um, agree. And I yeah. do I do really like what you said about not letting it tie you up in knots. Like this really should be something that you should have some fun with. Agreed. It should be maybe a little bit of work to get it to a minimum of, you know, 
to hit to get that 250. Like, I mean, I could write lots more <laughs> than mm-hmm. 250 words. So, to me, that almost feels like that would be the most challenging part. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I know a lot of people really worry about, oh, do I need to be original? Like every kind of student sort of, you know, they'll, they'll sometimes they're so focused on originality that they'll actually not write about something that they're sincerely interested in. And I feel like this question, there's a risk of that happening. I agree. So this is one of those situations where you could see somebody, um, it's the whole don't be funny if you're not funny, um, you know, you should just really strive to be uniquely yourself. So one of the things that I think is important is like there's, I've sometimes seen this reflex, um, you know, there's Barnard, like many schools has a famous alum. They happen to all be women, obviously. Um, and like Martha Stewart is one of them. And she certainly is, um, you know, a savvy uh, entrepreneur in a lot of ways. Um, with some interesting backstory, but, <laughs> and so <laughs> what I might say is like, don't, to settle on Martha Stewart because you're like, well, I mean, she's a Barnard alum. That's going to be great. It's going to be impressive. It says I've done my research. Like, that actually is a little bit lazy. So, I mean, that doesn't mean don't write about her if she really is someone who you'd like to have a conversation with, but I would make sure that you can handle it and approach it from a perspective of more than, you know, it feels like this kid chose this person because she's a really famous Barnard alum. Um, so I would say... You know, um, don't try so hard, like, you know, to say, oh, um, someone irreverent or some sort of interesting pop culture figure because you want to stand out if that's not really your lane. Um, if you're more of a um, Sojourner Truth woman or more of, um, you know, a, um, a Roosevelt, Eleanor Roosevelt type of, of person, write about those people. Those would be really excellent, um, you know. And just feel like you can put your best self forward with people who you truly admire and can write something that is uh, does you justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One other thing that I want to um, emphasize, too, is don't be afraid of the word feminist. You know, I mean, yeah. Barnard is the kind mm-hmm. of place where people are going to be open to that um, and they're going to actually be really interested in it even. Yeah. And I, and I also think, you know, if you're... Um, on that same line of thinking that uh, the admission officers at Barnard, I think, are pretty um, open-minded. So, you know, not everybody has to fit in the same kind of mode. If you're still, if you're a feminist or uh, you are trying to understand what feminism means to you, you don't have it quite figured out, um, but that comes across with, with whomever you choose as the person you admire, that's okay, too. So we don't all have to fall into the same line of thinking, but I think it's all in how you write about it and how genuine it is. Um, you know, for example, uh, someone that has a very high profile, like let's say Oprah Winfrey is the person who immediately comes to mind, and she sounds like a really great one, right? Um, uh, she's done a lot in her career. She's blazed a lot of trails. Um, but that could be such a common choice. So I might say, that's interesting, but why don't you see if there are others that bubble up to the surface that might be not quite as common, not quite such big um, kind of obvious choices, see who else bubbles to the surface. And if she really is the person you want to write about, like, you know, by gosh, like make sure that it's genuine and your admiration and why you chose this person really comes across. You're mm-hmm. really feeling the, the fandom. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. great. So just so we don't run out of time, let's move on to sure. the Wash You essay. 
Do you mind uh, reading that one? There's a lot of back to it. So you can summarize if you want to. Great. Let me just find the exact wording. Give me one second. So the WashU one is actually also kind of a fun one. And and for this institution, it's a little bit... um, you know, uh, it's a little bit of a newer endeavor. They haven't had a supplement um, for very long. And so um, that one is, um, tell us about something that really sparks your intellectual interest and curiosity and compels you to explore more. It could be an idea, book, project, cultural activity, work of art, startup, music, movie, research, innovation, question, or other pursuit. And I should say as part of the preamble, um, they also said it, it could be used for both admission and scholarship consideration. And um, the length is a little more generous at 500 words. Um, I think this could also be really fun. And if out of any of those options, idea, startup, movie, if you can't find something that kind of hits your spot, again, you, you may want to be thinking about if this is absolutely the appropriate place for you because one of these should resonate um, with the student as they're thinking of this. And I think this could be really fun. Um, it should just be something that makes you go, whoa, yeah, I really love that. Makes you light up. Makes you ask a lot of questions. Makes you seek out information. Um, you know, and so something that is, again, really relevant um, to you. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the important things here is that they want something that you can do a really deep dive into, right? Yeah. Like that's going to be that's important. Right. This is something, you know, they actually say compels you to explore more. So maybe you learned about it in class, but then you did a lot more work or research into it. That's right. Like if all of a sudden, you know, somebody got really into the works of Banksy because of that recent, uh, you know, uh installation that he did where the person bought it and it shred itself. Um, You know, we don't just want to hear about that moment. Maybe that was the spark for you. But, you know, I agree, Sally. Um, You know, we, we need to go much deeper then into what this really meant for you. If you're really into fashion and you are mesmerized by Kanye West and his Yeezys, you know, I mean, we just don't want to hear about that. We want to hear about what's beneath all of that for you. Like, how does that peel back the layers and really um, get to your intellectualism? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's it. Um, thank you so much, Kira. Thanks, Sally. I enjoyed it. Okay. We're going to take a short break, but when we get back, I'll be on the I'll be on the show with Sarah Calvert Kubram, Ken and Dick, and um, the three of us will be discussing co-op programs, specifically at Northeastern and Drexel. The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, 
what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, now we'll be speaking with Kenan Dick and Sarah Calvert-Kubram. Hi, Kenan and Sarah. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really interested in this topic. Um, Basically, I'm quite sure that most people don't even know what a co-op program at a college is. So they might be thinking about condominiums, actually. (laughs) So um, so why um, why don't we kind of give an explanation of what they are in a nutshell? Sarah, could you kick that off? Yeah, um, so on a very brief explanation, I think some fun history to know, um, I researched a bit, is that in 1906, um, the University of Cincinnati was the first university to start this model, and then quickly after Northeastern, later Drexel and others, um, with a mission to balance a traditional classroom education with what we would call experiential learning opportunities to partner universities with employers to get get their students real-world working experience, which is often paid to um, complement their education. Um, typically, you go back and forth, depending on how the school does it, from a term in the classroom to then some time in your discipline, um, out doing what people might think of as kind of like an internship. Um, I'd say it differentiates from an internship, however, because it is a core part of the academic experience and professional preparation in the 
study um, area that a student is focusing on. Um, it is part of a university's official approach to academic and professional preparation and formation. Um, and I think that in today's society, where we're thinking critically about um, the value of an education, the outcomes, what our young people do after college, um, there is some excitement and resonance with thinking about beyond internships or job shadows, how can we leverage the college experience to prepare students for what's next? So you're right. I think that um, that word co-op can be confusing. Um, in this instance, it stands for... Um, uh, it's, it's called co-op often, and that's what people think of condos, et cetera, but it's really a cooperative education model, which is structured to collaborate between the classroom education at the university and a practical, real-world, often paid work experience. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right that it's the kind of model that is increasingly interesting to people as they think about sort of return on investment in a, um, you know, in a college degree. So let's, um, I want to move on and kind of talk more specifically then about how it worked at your institutions. So, um, Canon, can you, since your experience was at Drexel, can you talk about, you know, exactly how it worked at Drexel? Absolutely. And the way that it, it took place at, at Drexel, there was a, a number of different options that you had available to you. So uh, the first option was um, three six-month co-ops. So you would have a five-year um, stay at, at uh, Drexel. The first and the last years would be pretty standard. Um, so you would have three. Uh, they have a quarter system there. So you have three quarters uh, for your freshman year. You have the summer off. And then you would alternate between six months of co-op and six months of uh, classroom work uh, during those two quarters. So it would alternate for those middle three years, and then you would have a standard um, senior year. They also have a four-year program for the students who uh, want to complete their program a little bit more, don't have necessarily the same emphasis on the co-op. Um, some of their programs will be a four-year program with one three-month or one six-month co-op incorporated into the plan. And they also do have the standard um, kind of uh, academic experience. So many of the majors will also offer a non-co-op option where, you know, you're doing your three quarters of uh, coursework during the traditional school year, and then you would have the summers off just like most other students would have. So there's a, it's there's very, a range of different no, possibilities and a menu that you can kind of um, choose from in terms of what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good to know that there's kind of a modified, less, you know, sort of hardcore version of it even where you're graduating sooner, but you still get some of that co-op experience. That's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Sarah, how about at Northeastern? So what I would say is that it, what's similar is that there is some option. Um, students can work with their advisors and their mentors to decide how many co-op rotations they participate in and how long they take to graduate. Um, the traditional and most sought pathway at Northeastern is that you do take five years to finish your bachelor's degree. Your first year is on, you know, is in the classroom, more traditional education. Um, and then it's broken up into six months rotations. Northeastern is a semester-based school, and you get put onto a track of students of when you're going off to your co-op. Um, the co-ops are six-month experiences that start every year in either July or January. Um, and if you are on that five-year track, you graduate with three 
six-month co-op experiences, um, totaling, of course, 18 months of that real-world experience on your resume. Um, Something that I think makes Northeastern a bit distinctive in this approach is that Northeastern very much lives as a global institution with not only attracting students from all over the world, but sending Northeastern students through the co-op program all over the United States and the world. Um, A fun fact that I saw for last year is that their students did these co-op experiences in 46 states and 72 countries, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, In my time at Northeastern, I actually got to hire and supervise 30 to 40 um, students at Northeastern on a co-op experience going abroad, helping run study abroad programs for Northeastern freshmen. So it was really exciting to see this in action. One thing that's also a hallmark of the Northeastern Co-op is that before you are approved to go to your first co-op, you have to participate in whatever preparation requirements your college has. So, for instance, the College of Engineering has an actual class that the students have to take around professional etiquette, dress, how to interview, how to navigate a professional landscape. Um, All of the students also have a co-op advisor in addition to their academic advisor that helps them navigate that process and I think helps equip the students to successfully navigate professional settings at a very young age. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, so far it sounds pretty good. So, um, (laughs) but I know, I know that people are kind of thinking, wondering if if they're going to have to, and we're going to be talking about finances in the next segment, but I just think we should clarify right off the bat that when students are not in school, they are not paying. So although they're, it takes five years to graduate, they're not paying any more tuition than they would in a traditional four-year experience. Is that correct? That is correct. correct. And most co-ops, not all, but most co-ops, the student is actually paid to, to do that experience. So if they have a, um, you know, the discipline and habits set up, they can actually save some money that they earn during their co-op experience to hopefully offset some of their living expenses while they're in their academic semester or quarter. Okay. All right. Excellent. And like I said, we'll be talking more about that in the next segment. But so now let's talk about some of the pros and cons of a co-op program. And I'd like to pay special attention to kind of which student would be a fit for this kind of program and which student might really not thrive there. And I'll use myself as an example of someone who really wouldn't, I think, have thrived in that situation. I enjoy working, but I really wanted a very traditional college experience. And Sarah, when you and I were talking, you um, earlier about this, you said to me that you thought Reed, which is where I went, was kind of the opposite of a co-op program, which is true. Like it's all about the most esoteric knowledge um, in some ways that you could possibly learn. Although I kind of think Reed could probably use some etiquette classes. So I'm glad to hear they have those <laughs> in Northeastern. Um, so, um, but yeah, so, you know, why don't one of you jump in? Actually, Kenan, why don't we switch back to you? What do you see as some of the sort of pros and cons of, of the co-op program? Good question. Um, well, first of all, there, there's a number of pros, I, I think, in terms of what students are, are generally looking for. And here's a few things that they might not have necessarily think about as obvious pros to the to the program. One is that it gives a kid, um, if they're in a five-year program, they often will, you know, after that first um, co-op, decide whether or not this is the right pathway for them. And sometimes it's the right pathway, just the wrong company. 
and so they can start to develop, you know, if they're interested in accounting, then they can go and, you know, work for a big accounting firm. Maybe the next um, accounting gig that they get is going to be for a smaller company. So they can start to sample what that career might look like. But there's a pretty decent number of students that come back from that uh, first uh, co-op and say, this is not for me, right? This is not what I I thought accounting is going to be like. Maybe I need to switch to marketing or something different. So it can help the students solidify that interest and figure out if the path that they're on is the right path for them before they're fully invested in their degree, right? So they can change midstream. Another thing that's that's really helpful, and this is a little bit more obvious for listeners, is that it helps them establish that resume and helps them get, um, you know, a year and a half worth of experience on their resume before they graduate and look for that first job. And a high percentage of the students, I don't know the exact percentage uh, currently, but a high percentage of students actually get job offers from um, one of their few co-ops. So oftentimes it can lead to that first job and they don't have to worry about it because they already have that offer well before their senior year. And that can be really reassuring, especially for parents. They know they're not going to be living in their basement uh, as soon as they graduate. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, um, with that experience, oftentimes that means that their starting salary, because they bring experience to the table, can be higher than a student who's coming right out of college without the same experience level. So monetarily, it can be a benefit as well. Um, so I think those are some of the cons or some of the pros. And some of the cons that I definitely see is that for some students, and this is not just for the co-op program, but the, the 10-week quarters that they offer at Drexel are very fast-paced. And for the kid who's not really on it, who can be a real procrastinator, those can be difficult. And then you get out of the swing of things academically when you're on your co-op because it's a whole different daily routine. And then you come back and you have to readjust again. So for that kid who doesn't really adapt well to change, doesn't really um, have the, the proactive mindset, to do well in the classes and jump right in, sometimes that can be a, a difficult transition. And there are some kids that are just not ready for the professional environment yet. Some want to jump in and get that um, immediately, and they see college as that stepping stone to doing so. And then there's other students who really need to kind of take some of those years to figure out who they are and what they want and what their motivations are, and they're not quite ready to jump into a professional environment right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm not sure even that I would have been ready in my very first year to get mm-hmm. dressed up and go to a professional environment. Um, it was nice to take baby steps by being a tour guide first and those kinds of things. So, um, mm-hmm. Sarah, what do you think? Do you have anything to add to uh, any additional observations? So what I would say is that I overwhelmingly agree with Kenan on what he lists as the pros and cons. So rather than saying more of those, I would say that this is a great opportunity to think less of this as a negative or positive, but more, what does your student hope to experience in their college journey? Um, what I saw in my time working with students at Northeastern is that students who are really thriving and loving a co-op experience in this model are students who are really excited to use college to push their comfort zone and try new things. Um, They are students that are not 
intimidated by the fact that they won't always be with the same group of students and friends through their college experience, um, with the fact that you're taking maybe three, six month stints to go away for a co-op, that means that you may not always have the continuity of your friend group. However, when you come back six months later, you're going to be so excited to see each other. Um, so I don't think that's necessarily a con for all students, but I, just like you, Sally, attended a more traditional four-year liberal arts college, and it was a community in which, aside from studying abroad, I was always in a grounded community with my, my peers, my classmates, etc. So there is a bit of a fluid nature of students coming and going from campus, students who are excited to pick up and drop everything for an adventure and come back. So I think it's thinking, what do you want in your college experience? Do you see this as exciting or do you see that as destabilizing? Um, and having that clarity of what you want those four or five years in college to look like. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think a student who um, wants... Yeah, wants to be around more or less the same people the whole time and sort of build that really strong sense of community. Well, it does sound like they'll struggle more at a Northeastern and a Drexel. Um, but yeah, for the student who wants the work environment, who wants to dive right in, um, I think it's it's probably just such a remarkable opportunity. Mm-hmm. Now, I was wondering, though, what about, so it's pretty obvious to me how this kind of thing works for like accounting or finance or engineering, uh, computer science, right? But what about a student who's majoring in, you know, a liberal arts program, you know, psychology, mm-hmm. history, English, um, those kinds of things. So I'm interested in hearing um, Kenan's thoughts on this and then maybe heading back to you, Sarah. Sure. Um well, I think for a lot of parents, I mean, we hear this over and over and over again, is that, you know, they, they ask the question, you know, what are you going to do with a philosophy degree? Or what are you going to do with a history degree? And one of their biggest concerns is trying to link a profession to, um, to a major like that. And one of the values that I, I think a lot of the parents um, see in, in this experience is that when their kid is a history degree major, for instance, they still have the ability to get these co-ops and to build their resume and to get some experience and to do things that might be interesting for them to build upon when they graduate. And as we know from, you know, our surveys of um, HR professionals, one of the key things that they're looking at beyond prestige of the school is experience. And so if students have that ability to take those three co-ops, find something that they enjoy, even though there might not be what they see as a direct relationship between their major and that, that profession, it allows them to build up that uh, resume and be able to go right into that field upon graduation. And again, they may already have a, a, um, an offer from that employer before they even graduate. So a lot of the times I see that being one of the number one fears of, of parents and sometimes students as well. Um, what am I going to do with this? And the co-op can be a great way to solve that issue. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, what are your thoughts on this? As I mentioned earlier, I hired and supervised a large group of co-op students every year, and most of them were actually more humanities and social science oriented students. Um, And what I saw is that those students actually had a delightful diversity in the types of co-ops they pursued because, as Ken referenced, they were using this as an opportunity to think, huh, 
what, what do I do with this psych degree if I don't necessarily want to be a therapist? Am I interested in working in education? Do I want to go write for a newspaper? You know, they really get to explore. Um, and the students that worked in their co-op for my program as a study abroad program, um, they were able to show on their, their resume that they thrived while working in a different country, that they had really refined cultural sensitivity, that they were leaders of undergraduate students, that they were able to enforce and um, interpret complex institutional policies, et cetera. So I, I think that, yes, it's perhaps not as obvious, and a lot of the, you know, history, English, foreign language, et cetera, students don't necessarily have the script of the same co-op that you might expect a business or a engineering student to do, but there's a lot of room for creativity and individually networking to get out there and find exciting opportunities. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that although there are still many, many paid co-ops in those disciplines, I did work with quite a few students that were just so impassioned to go do a co-op at a niche nonprofit, let's say a small nonprofit serving survivors of domestic violence because they wanted to be a social worker eventually. And sometimes those things were not paid or the student had to apply for small grants to help offset those experiences. Um, so there was a little bit more creativity there um, versus the, the institutional relationships that some of the other majors always followed. Um, so it's a little bit different, but I think if a student is excited for that, it's really, really an amazing opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, so that actually it does relate to the question that I was follow that I kind of wanted to follow up on. It sounds like the sort of the accounting, the the ones that we think about are kind of obvious fits for the co-op program. They're sort of pre-established relationships, but for the students in the other majors, they had a little more leeway. Were they still assisted though in finding those opportunities? You know, how did that work? So at, at Northeastern, they very much are, are assisted in finding those. Um, there is there are co-op professionals for each college at the university, as well as ones that are focusing on opportunities in the U.S. and internationally. Um, so even if they end up deciding that they want to find an opportunity of their own, it still has to be fully vetted, approved, and guaranteed through the co-op um, staff and advisors. So there's a lot of... Um, support for making sure it's a prop an appropriate experience for vetting it for making sure that they're going to get the outcome that is desired through it um, but it can just look a little bit different depending on what the student is looking for mm-hmm. and so Kenan how did it work at Drexel uh, very <clears throat> very similarly they had just like you have academic advisors for your academic programming you also have a co-op advisor that works with you um, and so there's a large database of uh, all the different um, co-op opportunities that you have. And I think it was interesting to note that, you know, places like Northrop Grumman or DeWalt, what have you, that you would think would be taking the majority of them would be engineers. They're also taking marketing kids. They're also taking um, language kids. They're taking a variety of different um, types of students that they need for, for their business. So it's not just um, kind of, it's not just, one type of kid that's going to uh, some of these some of these companies that you would associate with the engineering, with the accounting, et cetera. So I thought that mm-hmm. was kind of interesting the 
the type of variety that they were were pulling from. But the the job of the co-op advisor is to help you make that match, is to figure out what's going to work for you. Do you want to try to, you know, live at home and commute? Um, are you trying to go abroad? You know, what are, what are your goals for this co-op and help you match up with a company and an experience that's going to fit that goal? And like Sarah was saying, sometimes it's, um, or most of the time it's a paid experience, but not always. And some of those high profile, um, places like, you know, it used to be that MTV and HBO didn't have to pay anyone. Um, so, you know, they, they were unpaid experiences. Similarly, there will be some of those types of uh, co-ops that don't pay, but, um, but it's worthwhile to get that type of, of profile on your resume. So I think mm-hmm. that um, the support there was, was very substantial, and there were very few students who wanted a co-op who, um, who didn't get one, and it was almost exclusively for academic reasons, that they just were not performing well. Right, right. Are, are there kind of academic minimums? Like, do you have to have a 2.5 or something like that? I don't think that there was a, an academic minimum that I was aware of. But if you were really struggling academically, usually that made it more difficult to find a co-op that would accept your, your application. Fair enough. The employers had might have a minimum. Um, all right. right. Well, thank you so much, Kenan and Sarah. Thank you. We appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, so we're going to take a short break, and when we get back, Lori Peltier and I will be discussing the financial considerations of attending a co-op program. So stick around. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. 
It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. In this segment, Lori Peltier and I will be discussing the financial implications of attending a co-op program. Welcome, Lori. Hi, Sally. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. All right. So um, let's let's get right into it. I, I, I think the idea of the co-op program is really interesting. Um, and I know that a lot of families are concerned that in some ways it's going to be a ripoff. They're just like, how could this be so good financially? So why don't we start with, yeah, what do they earn? How is it paid? And, you know, what about benefits? Okay, great. So as I heard Ken and... and um and Sarah just mentioned some co-ops are not paid, so that you have to put that out there. But the student usually can find something that is paid. In my experience, the pay is usually hourly, and it's between 16 to $25 an hour. Of course, it depends on the location, the student's major, the actual job they'll be performing, and the company they work for. So as Kenan said, you know, some companies are a boost to the student's resume and so exclusive that students might work there for free and or not get paid very much. Um, some of the higher-paid um, co-ops require a GPA of, say, a 3.0 or higher. So the higher the student's GPA, the higher they can earn. And most of the time, um, the pay is biweekly, just as if you were an employee there, and they would do a direct deposit into a checking account, savings account, so they get all set up as if they were an employee. Um, and in my son's situation, when he was a student at Northeastern and did his co-op, one of the companies provided him with 401k benefits after three months. So he had a six-month co-op, and three months in, he qualified for 401k, which he did for the three months he was there. Uh, some companies will give the student a um, transportation card so that they can take public transportation because that's one of the hardest things about the co-op is how is the student going to get there? Do they need a car? Are they going to take the train or the bus or whatever? Um, but keep in mind, a student does not pay tuition when they're on a co-op. So as a family, if you're looking at the overall cost of college, those three or six months that they're on co-op, they're not paying tuition. They may not be paying room and board to the college, but they'd be paying room and board to an off-campus apartment, or if they live at home and do the co-op, that's an even greater savings. Uh, but the student is earning money, and it could be as much as you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in the six months they do a co-op. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So that's quite significant. Um, are their earnings taxable? 
Yes. So it is considered taxable earnings for the student. When the student starts, they will sit down with the benefits or human resources people and complete a W-4 form, just like any other job. So you would want to be careful that the student checks off to, yes, have taxes taken out of their pay so that they don't owe money at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully their advisors are reminding them about that too. <laughs> so, right. Right. Um, all right. So how, I think this is pretty important. How does it impact financial aid, like a need-based financial aid package? That's the best part is that the student can earn this money, but when they complete their financial aid application in the future that says, you know, during that year, say 2019, how much money did the student earn? Co-op money is excluded from the student earnings on the financial aid application because it's part of their education. So it's not hurting their financial aid uh, for that year that's calculating, you know, based on the year they did the co-op. So, so it's, it's money that, in, you know, in some families' cases can put the family ahead. It can pay room and board while they're doing the co-op and even maybe have some left over to pay their tuition in the future, but it's not going to affect their financial aid. Wow. That is quite remarkable. (laughs) That that really is a good deal for the student, for sure. Yes. Yeah. All right. What are some added expenses that they might uh, need to consider? Well, I think the biggest one is if the student is relocating to do their co-op. A lot of my son's uh, classmates were doing uh, finance co-op on Wall Street in New York City. So they would leave Northeastern in Boston and relocate to New York City for six months. So there's a lot of apartment shuffling and, um, you know, getting out of your lease and, and trying to find a place to live for just six months. So the room and board expense can be quite a bit, but most of the co-ops that are in a high room and board uh, cost of living area geographically tend to pay more because they know the student has those room and board expenses. Clothing is another big one. You know, the student has to be dressed and ready to go to work five days a week. So that could include, you know, new suits and ties and dresses and shoes and all of that. And you may even need them ahead of time for the interviews. So thinking ahead, if you're going to do a co-op in January, October, November, you're going to be out interviewing for those co-ops and we'll need the clothing at that point. And then there is the transportation and food because they may not be on the college meal plan. They may be eating out or trying to cook their own food um, and then transportation getting to the the job every day can be a big one, a big cost. Mm -hmm. I would imagine too that this might be the first time they've really had to figure out a student might have had to figure out a budget. I mean, if you live on campus, you know, your rent is covered ahead of time, your food is covered ahead of time, you're kind of just budgeting for pizza and books maybe, suddenly Mm -hmm. you're budgeting for everything. So um, can that be a challenge as well, do you think? I do think it is a challenge, and I think it's also an opportunity where the student all of a sudden has this big influx of cash and may go a little crazy. So as a parent, you may want to have a conversation with your child, even though you're bringing home this paycheck, we need to make it last. We need to spread it out over the months that you're on co-op. We want to save some of it towards the next semester. This is not just free spending money for the student. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And it could be a good time to get a few more pieces of that wardrobe that they need or whatever. Or, I mean, I imagine there might even be some jobs that require a car if the student doesn't have a car. You know, all sorts of things could come up. Right. Right. Because not every co-op is on public transportation. So you may mm-hmm. need a car and, you know, you may be 
in Boston going to school and do your co-op in Silicon Valley, and you need to fly there. And, you know, some, some of the companies will pay for relocation to relocate you to where they are. Uh, that may come out of the hourly rate that you're going to get paid, but, um, but that's another big one is, you know, relocating across the country for a co-op is a big expense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what are some of the long-term financial benefits? I mean, I can, I can imagine that there are multiple, but what are some of the, the ones that you've identified? Well, I think um, doing a co-op gives the students some um, hands-on experience to see if they like or don't like the direction that they're going with their education. So, you know, it can save them time and money of job hopping when they graduate. So if you're an accounting major and you go to, say, you know, uh, do tax accounting and you realize through your co-op that you hate it, well, then you know not to go for those jobs when you graduate. But had you not done that co-op, you might not know that. So I think it gives them such a better idea of their career direction that it saves money that way. It obviously looks great on their resume. They're ahead of other students who are graduating with the same degree but don't have the experience on their resume so they could come in at a higher level or have a better chance of getting hired. And it also gives them that budgeting experience too to, you know, okay, I've done this before. I know how to get up every day and go to work instead of go to class. So they have that life experience skill to, um, to bring to their new job. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, I was pretty impressed with uh, the fact that your son actually got some money invested in a 401k thanks to his employer. So, I mean, right. when you think about compound interest and all that, I mean, you know, being a 21-year-old with money in retirement is pretty advantageous. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you can take advantage of getting a jump start on that. Definite advantage. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious. We have just like a minute or so left. And um, I mean, what did you see, if, if you don't mind speaking about this from a personal point of view, what did you see as the advantage, advantages and disadvantages for your son in particular, since he said he went to Northwestern or Northeastern? I think one of the disadvantages I didn't expect was after doing his co-op, he didn't want to go back to school. He preferred working. (laughs) He preferred, you know, going to work and earning money rather than writing papers and sitting in the classroom. So every time his co-op would end, he was a little bit, you know, sad that it was ending and, oh, God, I got to go back to the classroom. So, you know, it it can really open your eyes to whether you enjoy being a student or not. Let's see, it did, I I think you spoke about this in the last segment, that the college experience is different. I found at Northeastern that his group of friends were constantly shifting because they were in and out of their leases on their apartments and they were um, subletting to strangers and so it it was always in flux. There really wasn't a lot of school spirit because kids don't stick around for four full years. It was always a, a moving group of students in and out. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lori. That was really helpful. Oh, you're welcome. I was happy to help. All right. And thanks to the rest of my guests today. Um, now I want to tell you about our show next week, hosted by Beth Heaton, the regular host. She will be discussing the nuts and bolts of submitting an application and following up to make sure it was received, as well as whether you can get in-state tuition as an out-of-state student at a public university. 
And finally, I want to I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find shows with varied topics, such as last week's show, which covered what to do if you were deferred from your early action or early decision school. So lots of really valuable information. And if you like our show, please be sure to rate us on iTunes. It takes only a moment of your time, it's, and it's absolutely free. And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.